This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of total elbow arthroplasty from the shoulder and elbow section on orthobullets.com. Total elbow arthroplasty is increasingly used for the treatment of many debilitating elbow pathologies. Total elbow arthroplasty for trauma is one of the fastest growing indications. Forms of elbow arthroplasty include total elbow arthroplasty, hemi-elbow arthroplasty, which can be either radiocapitellar or distal humeral, an ulnohumeral distraction and interpositional arthroplasty, a lacrinon fossa debridement, or radial head arthroplasty are all forms of elbow arthroplasty. The indications for total elbow arthroplasty include rheumatoid arthritis, advanced primary osteoarthritis, advanced post-traumatic osteoarthritis, fracture, and chronic instability of the elbow. As far as rheumatoid arthritis, 10-20% to of patients with rheumatoid arthritis will have arthritic changes in the elbow. Total elbow arthroplasty is considered for Larsen stages 3 to 5, with functional loss, pain, and instability. Ideally, these patients should be older than 65 years old. As far as outcomes, the longest survivorship is when total elbow arthroplasty is performed for rheumatoid arthritis compared to other indications. It tends to be the most reliable with advanced refractory rheumatoid arthritis. Total elbow arthroplasty for advanced primary osteoarthritis is indicated for patients older than 65 years old with activity resulting from ulnotrochlear joint cartilage loss. As far as outcomes, the 10-year implant survival is about 80-85% to for total elbow arthroplasty for primary osteoarthritis. As far as total elbow arthroplasty for fractures, the indication is for a physiologically elderly patient, for example, greater than 70 years old, with an acute, complex, unreconstructable intraarticular distal humerus fracture, a missed elbow fracture dislocation, or poor bone quality. As far as outcomes, there is faster recovery after total elbow arthroplasty with more predictable functional outcomes compared to fixation strategies. However, there are limitations of lifting weight more than 5 to 10 pounds to avoid implant loosening. Absolute contraindications for total elbow arthroplasty include Charcot joint or active infection, in which arthrodesis is favored. Relative contraindications for total elbow arthroplasty include poor neurologic control of the affected extremity, an active patient younger than 65 years old, and a lacrinon osteotomy is also a relative contraindication to total elbow arthroplasty so as to maintain the competency of the elbow extensor mechanism. Moving on to implants, there are three main designs for total elbow arthroplasty. Unconstrained or unlinked components, semi-constrained or linked components, and a constrained design. An example of an unconstrained or unlinked component is the Ewald capitellocondylar design. This option requires competent collateral ligaments, a good soft tissue envelope, and it also requires good bone quality. As far as outcomes, instability is the most common complication, and there is a 5-10% to 10% dislocation rate. Precise component alignment is required, and there is no proven superiority or clear indication of an unconstrained design compared with a semi-constrained slash linked design. So now moving on to semi-constrained or linked component design, an example of this is the kunrad muri design, and as far as technical aspects, a quote sloppy hinge allows for some varus valgus and rotational laxity. This option also reduces stress on the bone cement interface, which reduces the incidence of component loosening. With respect to outcomes, the semi-constrained design actually has the best results of all the designs. However, there is the complication of early humeral loosening in designs without an anterior flange. 
Finally, an example of a constrained design is the D design, and technical aspects to consider include the rigid hinge design, and this is theoretically the most stable design versus an unlinked component design. As far as outcomes, constrained designs have the highest loosening rates compared to semi-constrained and unconstrained designs. Some design pearls to be aware of, component stems for the ulna and humerus have improved fixation and reduced loosening. The humeral component extracortical anterior flange resists posteriorly directed and rotational forces. And finally, the radial head is not needed for stability in linked total elbow arthroplasty designs. In fact, the radial head is often debrided or resected in rheumatoid arthritis due to mechanical symptoms or pain. Moving on to some key technical concepts, preoperative care should involve a careful clinical evaluation, making sure to select the ideal surgical candidate, which is again a patient aged greater than 65 who is medically optimized, low demand, and is able to comply with postoperative weight-bearing restriction. And at the risk of sounding cynical, basically none complies, so be careful who you operate on. As far as imaging, standard radiographs should include AP and lateral views of the elbow to assess bone stock and also ensure that the medial and lateral columns are intact. Also make sure to assess canal diameter for implant design. Also be sure to obtain cervical spine flexion extension views in rheumatoid arthritis patients, which will have particular significance for the anesthesiologist in preparation for intubation. You can also obtain a CT scan prior to total elbow arthroplasty, which might be helpful for surgical planning. As far as surgical positioning, total elbow arthroplasty can be done either in the supine or lateral decubitus positions. In the supine position, the arm is draped free, and this position will require an assistant to hold the arm over the patient's chest, and the surgeon must take care to avoid the endotracheal tube. In the lateral decubitus position, the arm is positioned over a bolster, which minimizes the need for an assistant to hold the arm, and this position also decreases the ability to manipulate the arm. There are several approaches you can take for total elbow arthroplasties. The main ones include triceps reflecting, triceps splitting, and triceps sparing approaches. In a triceps reflecting approach, otherwise known as a Brian Mori approach, the triceps is reflected from medial to lateral in continuity with the anconius. The triceps is then reattached to the ulna with non-absorbable suture through bone tunnels. In a triceps tongue approach, you will raise the fascial tongue from the olecranon back proximally, then you will release the collateral ligaments proximally and distally. This approach can be used for fractures or total elbow arthroplasty. In a triceps splitting approach, the triceps is longitudinally divided in continuity with the forearm fascia over the dorsal ulna. The triceps can also be split proximally with a V-shaped turndown of the tendon, leaving the insertion onto the olecranon intact. This allows for extensor mechanism lengthening if needed. In a triceps sparing approach, the triceps is preserved intraoperatively, but exposure can be challenging. The medial and lateral borders of the triceps are mobilized, and this tends to be the best approach for using total elbow arthroplasty to manage acute distal humerus fractures. The triceps on approach involves a direct midline posterior incision where you will identify, release, and protect the ulnar nerve. Then you will release the flexor pronator mass and medial collateral ligament from the medial epicondyle. Then you will elevate the triceps off the posterior humerus towards the lateral intramuscular septum, then release the common extensors and lateral collateral ligament complex, and then finally disarticulate the ulnohumeral joint. 
As far as the actual technique for a total upper arthroplasty with respect to bone preparation, you would prepare the humeral component first by resecting the olecranon fossa of the distal humerus. You will keep the medial and lateral column intact and broach the appropriate size component. With respect to preparation of the ulnar component, you will resect the olecranon tip of the proximal ulna, then resect the tip of the coronoid to avoid impingement on the anterior flange, which will cause axial pistoning of the ulna and loosening. Then you will broach to the appropriate size component for the ulna. As far as implant insertion, it will obviously depend on component design. The semi-constrained is the most common design, and you will use modern cement preparation and technique. For the humerus component, you will prepare a wedge-shaped piece of bone for placement behind the humeral flange and maintain the component orientation relative to the posterior flat surface of the distal humerus. And for the ulnar component, you will orient the implant perpendicular to the dorsal flat surface of the olecranon. Postoperative care will involve an early period of immobilization. Early motion after total elbow arthroplasty is associated with wound complications, instability, and hardware loosening. Typically, you will immobilize patients for four weeks after surgery. And remember, there will be a lifelong weightlifting restriction of less than 5 to 10 pounds. As far as outcomes, total elbow arthroplasty in the setting of rheumatoid arthritis has a 92.4% rate of survivorship, free of revision at 10 years. However, there is a very high complication rate of 14% and involves things like triceps avulsion, deep infection, periprosthetic fracture, and or aseptic loosening. As far as outcomes for total elbow arthroplasty in the setting of post-traumatic arthritis with respect to 5-year survivorship, most patients achieve functional range of motion and patient satisfaction. However, there is a high complication rate of between 27-43% to and a high reoperation rate of 25%. Now, let's finish this review session by talking about some complications. Aseptic loosening is seen radiographically in 17% of patients and clinically in 6% of patients. This is the most common mode of failure for constrained total elbow arthroplasty designs. Infection will be seen in 8% of patients. Acute infection is defined as one less than 30 days. Treatment of infection is aggressive serial irrigation and debridement and antibiotic bead placement. Success depends on the organism. Staphylococcus epidermidis is associated with persistent infection because it is an encapsulating organism and it is best treated with implant removal and IV antibiotics. Chronic infection is treated with a two-stage reimplantation versus resection arthroplasty in medically ill patients or those with inadequate bone stock. Instability is another complication seen in 7-19% to of patients and is the most common mode of failure for semi-constrained designs. Bushing wear is a common mode of failure for constrained designs. Make sure to obtain AP x-rays as a varus slash valgus angle of greater than 10 degrees is concerning for bushing wear. Wound healing is a potential complication that is especially higher with long-term steroid use like in rheumatoid arthritis patients. Ulnar neuropathy and triceps insufficiency are also seen as complications. Bone loss is also a potential complication from multiple revisions, fractures, and or osteolysis. Bone loss is graded based on humeral bone stock. Treatment for up to 8 centimeters of distal humeral bone loss is replacement with a longer prosthesis with an extended anterior flange or endoprosthesis, otherwise known as a total humerus. Salvage options include a flail elbow, amputation, or arthrodesis. Periprosthetic fracture is another potential complication seen in 5 to 30% of primary total elbow arthroplasties. Causes include trauma, osteoporosis, aseptic loosening, 
stress shielding, poor technique, and or non-compliance with activity restriction. There's a classification of periprosthetic fracture in the setting of total elbow arthroplasty known as the Mayo classification, also known as the O'Driscoll and Mori classification. It is divided into three types. Type 1 is a periarticular fracture near the tip. It typically occurs from osteolysis around hinge components and distracting forces from muscle attachments. For non-displaced type 1 periprosthetic fractures, immobilization slash soft tissue repair is sufficient to achieve fibrous union. Rigid fixation is not required. However, for displaced type 1 periprosthetic fractures, treatment is usually open reduction internal fixation with heavy non-absorbable sutures or tension band wiring if there is limited periprosthetic bone. Type 2 periprosthetic fractures are along the length of the stem and are typically from implant loosening. Treatment is usually revision arthroplasty using long stem prosthesis plus or minus strut allograft and impaction bone grafting. Locking plates slash soclage wires may be added for added stability. This may be performed in stages, and if so, stage 1 should address fracture union with onlay iliac crest bone graft and LCDCP plates. And stage 2, after fracture union, should involve revising the implants with a longer stem and impaction graft. Finally, type 3 periprosthetic fractures are distal to the prosthesis. These are treated like routine fractures. Radiograph-slash-CTs should be obtained to ensure implants are not loose and that the cement mantle is not cracked. If the implants are well fixed, immobilization should be carried out for the humerus and open reduction internal fixation for the ulna. If the implants are loose, treat these the same way as a type 2 fracture. That's all for this review about total elbow arthroplasty. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you.